You turn in your Bibles this morning to Psalm 126 in the Old Testament. I'm going to look at a number of different scriptures today, but that's going to be our starting point. Uh, We're in Advent. This is the third Sunday in Advent. Um, Michelle kicked us off a few weeks ago and reminded us that Advent is the season where we are reminded of the tension that we live in. So Advent points us backwards to the time when God's people were awaiting the Messiah's coming. And Advent points us forward to that Messiah's, to Jesus' return. So there's a a waiting about Advent. Um, I think this is maybe like one of the good things about being a kid and, and Christmas presents, uh, if, you, if, you, if you have that memory, if you grew up in a home that did Christmas presents, because you remember that sense of waiting? <laughs> like you just like counting the days and the hours to open the packages. Um, it's, but it's like after we are, are not kids anymore, we forget, I think, that feeling of waiting and what it was like, just that urgency Come on, will it ever get here? Will it ever come? Gosh. And this is Advent for us. This is what Advent reminds us of, that we are awaiting people. That, that we're not there, that we're not home, that the story is not over for us. We're a people who, who looks forward to what God is going to do for us. And many of us need that reminder because we are pretty content with how things are. And so we forget that we're longing, that we're praying, that we're waiting, that we're asking for God to return, to restore all things. So we live in this tension, people who, who, who have known the coming of the Savior and who await that Savior's coming. And, and, and because we live in this tension, there are different repercussions to this. And I, I want to explore another one of those with you uh, this morning. But first, let's look at Psalm 126, which I believe we have on the screen, uh, and and I'd like you to, we don't have that. Okay, I'm going to read that for you then. Uh, Open up your Bibles uh, to Psalm 126, and like I said, we'll bump around to a couple other scriptures as well. It's a short one, but I'm going to read the entire psalm. When the Lord restored the fortunes of Zion, we were like those who dreamed. Our mouths were filled with laughter, our tongues with songs of joy. Then it was said among the nations, the Lord has done great things for them. We are filled with joy. Restore our fortunes, O Lord, like streams in the Negev. Those who sow in tears will reap with songs of joy. He who goes out weeping, carrying seed to sow, will return with songs of joy, carrying sheaves with them. This is the word of God. Thanks be to God. So, uh, these are people who have known exile. We've talked about exile over the past couple of weeks. God's people, the children of Israel, who were captured out of Judea, out of Jerusalem, and taken into exile or fleeing into Egypt. These are people who are longing for not a spiritual salvation per se, but a, a real salvation, a rescue, a return to their land. They're, they're longing for this. They're waiting for this. They're praying for this to happen. They're in exile. And this psalm seems to come come up out of that exile experience. There seems to be some hope now, some movement. Maybe, maybe the first of the exiles are able to return back to Jerusalem. We don't know exactly for sure, but, but there's some sense here that God is acting, that God is moving. I, I would say that this psalm captures a moment of clarity for the children of Israel. Where despite all of their unfaithfulness, despite the exile that they have known, they see clearly that God is still faithful. That God is still powerful. That God never abandoned them, despite what it felt like. There's a moment of clarity that we see in this psalm where they're rejoicing about what God has done. Now clearly the circumstances are still bad for many of these people. Right? You can see this in the language of this psalm. They're still praying for God to restore their fortune, their references to tears and to weeping. So their circumstances are still difficult, are still painful, are still hard. But there's this moment of clarity where they're seeing reality. God is present. God is good. God is faithful. God is powerful. The nations, they say, will testify to the Lord's faithfulness and the Lord's power. Tears and weeping 
will turn into songs of joy. There's hope. And then there's this line that captures me. It says, we were like those who dreamed. We were like those who dreamed. It didn't say they were dreaming. It says, we were like those who dreamed. I imagine to their neighbors, to the people around them, it must have seemed like they were dreaming. Their circumstances were still hard, bad. They had gone through so much. How how else could they laugh and sing songs of joy if they weren't a little bit delusional, if they weren't dreaming? Their city was burned. Their relatives and countrymen scattered. Their old ways of worshiping God had been neglected and forgotten. But in this moment that this psalm captured, these circumstances fade in light of God's faithfulness. We seemed like those who dreamed. We seemed like those who dreamed. But they were not dreaming. They were, in fact, seeing reality, maybe as if for the first time. We seemed like those who were dreaming, but we saw God's faithfulness. We knew God's power. We seemed like those who dreamed. I think we know this experience. We know what it is to have these moments of clarity where present circumstances seem to fade away and we catch a glimpse of what God is doing and it's so clear But it's so different, it's so absurd, it doesn't fit in with reality. It seems like a a dream, a delusion even. A few years ago, I had a a friend who I got together with regularly. He's probably 15 or so years older than me. We would go out to lunch every three or four weeks. And, And we did this for a few years, got to know each other pretty well. And over time, this friend began sharing some of his kind of hopes, some of the things that he was excited about. And, and what we found was that as we talked, as I asked him questions about his life and what he was interested in, that there was this kind of vision developing. My friend was, was, was an IT guy. He worked at a company, did all the IT, all the computer stuff. That's all I can say about that. <laughs> but those of you who know that world, you can, so he was that. And... Um, and, he, and, and, and this vision was developing for him of leaving a pretty stable, secure job and, and starting uh, an organization, a not-for-profit, that did two things. One, it would provide IT services for other not-for-profits and churches that couldn't really afford those things regularly, couldn't afford to, to, to have a full-time staff person do that. And secondly, uh, to open up a center that would do job training, IT training, for people who didn't have those skills. He was especially interested in people who unemployed or underemployed, but who, you know, who had a desire to work, but just didn't, didn't have any of those skills. And it really was a, a, an amazing vision and one that was really needed in the community that we lived in. So we talked about this and he got excited about it. He began to, to pull together a board of directors. Uh, this was a vision. And I think it was a vision from God, a vision that was very much in alignment with God's heart. Now, it seemed absurd because of the way his life was, his age, the other commitments that he had in his life, but you could tell that this is what he wanted to give his life to. And I think each of us in this room have had those moments, those experiences where some, some sort of vision like that crystallizes for us and we go, yes, that's reality. That's what God is doing in the world. That's, what I, that's how I'm called to participate in God's mission in the world. That's, it may seem like a delusion or a dream to someone coming from the outside, but you catch a glimpse of God's vision. And I think that this is a, it represents a theological reality. This kind of experience that we've had represents a theological reality. Jesus says, because I have come, the kingdom of God has come near. And so we expect, we expect that because Jesus has come, because the kingdom of heaven has come near, that we will have those moments where we see this is what God is doing in the world. This is what the kingdom of heaven looks like. And yeah, it doesn't fit in with much of how our world works. 
we have these moments where we can see clearly what it looks like to live lives of justice, of mercy, of peace, what it looks like to pursue God's values in our world, the things that matter to God. Again, I think this is a theological reality. The kingdom of heaven is coming, so we expect these moments where we go, that, that's real. That's real. My sense is, is that for most of us, myself included, these moments fade pretty quickly. They're, they're passing. They're, they, 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 they flee pretty quickly. These moments of knowing kind of God's heart and God's call and God's vision pretty quickly begin to fade for us. I watched this happen with my friend over the course of a year, going from kind of this white-hot passion of, of giving his life to this to bumping up into reality of not enough time, of not enough resources, of not enough people on board, of the risk of, lose, of leaving a stable job to start something new like this. And over the course of the year, this vision got recategorized. And it moved from being a vision from God to, well, that was just a dream. That's just a dream. And again, my guess is that most of us have known that experience. Those moments of clarity where we see so clearly this is what God is doing in our world. And this is how I'm called to participate in it. And that's what's real. That's what's true. That's what's beautiful. That's what's right. And then the moment passes. And that was just a dream. That wasn't realistic. We were like those who dreamed. So we become content with dreams rather than visions. We expect our reality to remain as it always has. Can you remember the visions that God has given you? What happened to them? Can you remember those moments of clarity? Some of you can remember exactly where you were. What happened? Most of us were convinced at some point by someone that we needed to wake up to get serious, to be realistic. This morning I want to ask us, what if these moments were not escapes from reality, but actually glimpses at a truer reality? What if these dreams were not dreams, but actually invitations by the Holy Spirit into kingdom-oriented life. And I know our church well enough to know, like, even just talking about dreams, some of you are like, that's so cliche. Just follow your dreams. I know the cynicism, because it kind of runs in me, too. Don't, can you not write me off yet? Because I think what we find in the scriptures is, is, is something very different than a cliche. Uh, so, so, so let's start here. Let's start with Mary. Uh, Mary, of course, is uh, going to be the mother of Jesus. Um, we're going to read a passage in Luke here in just a minute. But before this passage, Mary has been confronted by the angel Gabriel. Some of you remember the story. The, the angel shows up and tells Mary what's going to happen. You will we be with child. You will bear the Messiah. And she's shocked. She's surprised. And she's obedient. May it be to me just as you have said it. And then she packs up her stuff. Now imagine, she's probably 14 or 15 years old. Packs up her stuff and she travels three to five days south from Nazareth to the hill country in Judea to stay with her relative Elizabeth. She's a brave young woman. And when she enters Elizabeth's home, Elizabeth prophesies about what God is doing through Mary. And then that brings us uh, to our passage this morning, Luke chapter 1, verses 46 through 55. It's a well-known passage, Mary's song. She's singing 
testifying, prophesying in response to what she is experiencing with her God. If you have your Bible, again, turn to Luke chapter 1, verses 46 through 55. And Mary said, my soul glorifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. For he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed. For the mighty one has done great things for me. Holy is his name. His mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. He has performed mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones, but has lifted the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, but has sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and to his descendants forever, just as he promised our ancestors. Now, before we can understand sort of the significance of Mary's language here, the words, the imagery that she's choosing to use, we need to understand a little bit about the world that Mary comes from. Mary is a peasant. In other words, she's poor. And whatever you think of when you hear that word poor, whatever your experience with poverty is, it's, it's more than that. She's peasant. She's poor. Archaeologists and, and historians have said that um, people like Mary at this time, the region that she lived in, most likely were always hungry. They literally couldn't get enough ca- caloric, is that how you say it? Caloric? Caloric? Intake to, to, to feel full. So they were always, always hungry. It's likely that Mary had just become accustomed to being hungry. She's a peasant. She's poor. She knows what it is to hunger. She comes from a people who are heavily taxed. And I don't care what your politics are. This is like taxation that you and I just can't imagine, right? Because they're under who right now? Rome, right? Mary comes from Galilee, so she probably comes from an agricultural family. They probably have a very small little farm. And Rome takes about a quarter of their crops every harvest, just right off the top order their crops. They don't have a lot of land. It's a subsistence farming, and so right away a quarter of it is gone. This, of course, leads many farmers to go to debt. And, of course, debt often leads to default, foreclosure. And so it was not common for Mary to have known probably neighbors and family members who had to sell their land. That would have been the best case scenario. Slightly worse case would have been to have to sell their children into slavery to get money to keep their land and hopefully to work hard enough to be able to buy their children back. Even worse case scenario would have been to sell yourself into slavery as the landowner, your land, your children, yourself as well, trying to pay back this debt. And there are even cases recorded during this time of entire families, extended families, and villages being seized in order to repay debt. So this is the air that Mary breathes. Are you getting a sense here, a picture of what her life was like? This is Mary's world. Uh, She's Galilean from the region, the northern region of Galilee, which would have been shorthand in that day for a hick. I think, like, what's the, what's the, the, the equivalent in our day? Um, I, and I think the closest thing is, like, how, how some of us talk about people from, from the South. I say that as somebody who's got extended family in the South and who's studied in North Carolina. And, but the way that we can kind of belittle that Southern accent and, and can, like, kind of treat that accent and that culture as if it just automatically means you're, you know, a little bit slower. This is how it played out for Mary. Galileans had a very thick, thick accent that immediately called them out. This is why Peter is easily identified when Jesus is arrested. Weren't you with him? You sound like you're from Galilee. So Mary carried this accent. She carried this stigma of being from this region where people were belittled, looked over. If you were from Galilee, you couldn't publicly read Scripture in the synagogue outside of Galilee. In fact, some religious scholars thought in this time that if you were from Galilee, you weren't even mentally capable to read and study the scriptures for yourself. 
This is Mary's world. This is where she comes from. This is who she is. And then finally, maybe most obviously, she's a woman. She's a young woman. She's a single young woman. She's a pregnant single young woman. You see? This is who she is. This is her world. And Mary lives in Herod's world. Herod is the king. He's only got a few years left of his reign at this point, but he's a powerful king. I've talked about him before. He's a builder. He's, He's done massive building projects. He killed his first wife and a bunch of his kids in order to consolidate his kingdom. town Mary will end up giving birth in is the town of Bethlehem. And this town sat in the shadow of the Herodian. The Herodian was one of Herod's great building projects, this massive tower in the middle of the desert that had swimming pools and gardens. Mary, who didn't have enough to eat, lived in Herod's world, you see. Um, Herod had Uh, His policies had allowed uh, a few select people to gain massive wealth in his kingdom. And so in Galilee, where Mary lived, most most farmers, like her family, would have had three to five acres, which is barely enough to, to feed the family. But under Herod's policies, certain landowners had been able to accumulate up to 315 acres of land, way more than they needed. And these would have been farms that Mary would have seen and known and interacted with, the result of living in Herod's world. Are you with me? Are you picturing this? This is where she comes from. This is her reality. And of course, in a few months, Herod would send his troops to Bethlehem and kill every young boy, trying to kill Mary's son, of course. She lives in Herod's world. So, so now consider, from this vantage point, consider her words in, in this song. What do they sound like now? Sounds like a fantasy. A delusion. <laughs> it's crazy talk. He has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed. For the mighty one has done great things for me? What is she talking about? That makes no sense. It doesn't line up with reality in any way. He has brought down rulers from their thrones, but has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, but has sent the rich away empty. There's a theologian by the name of John Howard Yoder who says, this is revolutionary language, and it is. But only if it's coming from someone else from Mary. Maybe if it was a a young man, a soldier, a a noble person, even a priest, maybe Herod would have been afraid. But from Mary? No. No one's going to give her the time of day. No one's going to take this seriously. It's just the reality of the world in which she lives. Her Song, it's not treasonous, it's not inspiring, it's crazy, it's a dream. And I think this is how it goes for us, too, because we live in Mary's world. I think our experience is, is somewhat similar. Because every one of us, again, if I'm right, every single one of us in this room have had these moments where we can see clearly the kingdom of God coming in power. We get a glimpse of what this kingdom is like and how God is calling us to live into his kingdom. To be about his mission in this world. We can see it. We can picture it. We've been invited into it. So some of you have no problem or at some point had no problem envisioning children with equal access to education, no matter where they were born, who their parents are, where they live. A glimpse into the kingdom of heaven where justice reigns. Others of you envision setting up your home to express radical hospitality to your neighbors, inviting young people to experience the transformation of the gospel in every area of their lives. Others of you who are in business have envisioned using your influence and powerful ways to advance God's agenda and God's purposes in the world. 
Those of you who are artists, I, I know I've heard you talk about using your artistic gifts to paint pictures that a sermon just never will be able to. Pictures of God's kingdom. But you've been told, we've been told that these visions are just not realistic. And so we move on. My friend's dream, the IT guy's dream, it wasn't, it wasn't realistic. Not enough time, not enough money, not enough support. So he moved on. It's almost like in these moments we're saying to God, look, it's a nice idea. But it's not realistic. It's a nice idea, but I think you're asking the wrong person. Give this to somebody else. Ask somebody else to accomplish this. Call someone else to live this way. Um, So how is it that Mary can sing this song? Because we, of course, know how the story ends. We know that she wasn't delusional, that she wasn't dreaming. We, We know that she saw reality more clearly than anybody else did. So how is it, very practically speaking, that Mary is able to sing this song despite the world that was around her? Maybe the most obvious answer to this is the fact that she had an encounter with God. Gabriel showed up to her and said, this is how it's going to go. That's helpful, right? You would like that? Some of you would like that. That'd That'd be good. That would really clarify some priorities in your life right now. But I I think we need to be careful at saying that was was it. That was was the thing. If I had that, then, then, then I'd be good to go. Why? The scripture is filled with people who had encounters with God and then who completely missed it. Right? I think about Solomon, right? God comes to Solomon after his father David dies, says, Solomon, whatever you want. I want your wisdom. Oh, oh, great. And then look at the rest of his life. It's a disaster. It's oppressive. There's very little about it that's in alignment with what God is doing in the world. And he had this powerful encounter with God. Here's the other thing uh, that I think should keep us from putting too much too much of Mary's conversation with this angel. You and I have encountered the same God. Uh, maybe Gabriel didn't show up to you. It hasn't happened to me yet. You and I have encountered that same God. That's why we're here today. Maybe you want to rank it and say, well, yeah, but her encounter was better at the core than mine. No. We're here today because the God of the universe encountered us through Jesus. That happened. So if not this, if not this encounter, then, uh, then what? I'm actually almost... Zach, do you want to go ahead and come, come on up, please? I think there's two things, and I, and I hope I can be very practical right now. I think there are two things that we see in me that we can learn from. Things that that may allow some of us to reclaim the visions that God has given us for our life. Two things that maybe can can allow us to pick something off that we sort of relegate it as, that was just a dream. Pick it back up and say, no, maybe actually this is the vision for my life. The first thing is pretty simple. She remembers. Mary remembers. Mary's an Old Testament scholar. Her entire song is just reference after reference after reference from the Old Testament. It's unbelievable. She creates this entire poem, this beautiful song, pulling together, weaving together the theology of the Old Testament. She remembered. She remembered what? She remembered God's faithfulness. She remembered what God had done. Maybe for her personally. Right? Maybe there were some very specific things that she was drawing on and how God had sustained her life. But even more than that, she was remembering her people's history. 
She was remembering God's presence, God's faithfulness over the generations. And it doesn't seem like she had to like go, you know, thumb through a history book, right? Like, turn back to Moses. Turn back to the Old Testament, the law or the prophets. It was just there. She lived with this memory of God's faithfulness to her. And so she pulls from this. There's the sense that she's looking back over her shoulder saying, this is what God has done. One of our passages this morning from the lectionary comes from Isaiah 61. Two verses from that chapter. The spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me because the Lord has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. And then jumping ahead, for I, the Lord, love justice. I hate robbery and wrongdoing. In my faithfulness, I will reward my people and make an everlasting covenant with them. Mary remembers. That's what God's about. That's what God has always been about. That's the work that God has always been doing. That's God's character. And so this new thing, eh, it's not that new, actually. It's completely in alignment with what God has been doing since the beginning. This new thing that seems so scary, so different, so absurd, when I look back, oh, (laughs) that's actually what God is doing all the time. She remembers her memory of God's past faithfulness is a map to her present reality. Can I say that again? Her memory of God's past faithfulness was a map to her present reality. Some of us so quickly lose our way, so quickly get discouraged, so quickly get tired, so quickly kind of let go of the vision because we have no memory of the past. So we have no map for where God has us right now. Mary had a map. She had a great, great map. Because she knew what God had done in the past. Remember Mary's context. Her her vision could have very quickly just become a delusion that was abandoned. This is impossible. I know how the world works. I know who's in charge. But no. Because she knows God's faithfulness, she is uninhibited to pursue this new vision. Scattering the proud, lifting the humble, filling the hungry. These are not dreams. This is what God has done and will do. The things things that seem crazy and absurd to you, I'm just thinking about this right now. Uh, The visions that God has given you that seem crazy and absurd all of a sudden become really normal Come really normal. Look back and see what God has been doing since the beginning. You think God's being like extra creative with you? Asking you to take like risks that no one else has ever taken before? Asking you to live so radically that nobody else will ever be able to compare? The vision that seems so, out, so outlandish, so crazy, so much like a dream to you right now becomes utterly normal when we see God's faithfulness in the past. Yes? So remember, church, remember God's faithfulness. Remember how he cared for you, how he provided for you, how he rescued you, how he gave you a hope and a future. Remember his faithfulness. Here's the second thing that she does that we can do today. We can begin remembering God's faithfulness today. And here's the second thing we can do. She responds to the Holy Spirit. In Acts chapter 2, Peter is quoting the Old Testament prophet Joel. And he says, In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and your daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. And again, however that language sounds to you, I want to say that, that you have experienced that. That you have had those moments where the Holy Spirit has opened something up and given you a vision of God's kingdom coming now seen it you've tasted it the holy spirit has given that to you but then paul says this in first thessalonians chapter five it's a warning very simply it's one sentence he says do not put out the spirit's fire do not put out the spirit's fire if you grew up reading the the, the king james you remember how it says it do not quench the spirit quench I guess with water, pouring water onto the Holy Spirit's fire. 
Do not quench, do not put out the Holy Spirit's fire. So, so yes, Peter says the Holy Spirit is even now giving us visions of what God is doing in this world, what it means to live within the coming kingdom of God, what our lives are to look like. Yes, and we can put that out. We can quench that. We can walk away from that. We can ignore that. And Mary doesn't do that. Mary is encountered by God. The Holy Spirit comes on Mary. Mary says, yes, yes, yes. Are we we responding to the Holy Spirit? Are we quenching the Holy Spirit? Have you responded to the visions given to you by the Holy Spirit? Have you said, yes, I'll take that step. Yes, I will take that step. Or... I don't think that's realistic, God. I think that's for somebody else, God. That's not how our world works. We quench, we put out the fire that is ours in the Holy Spirit. Without being too harsh, I think this is why some of us only have kind of a distant memory of God's vision for our lives. Some of us feel like we're pulling from something that God gave us a long, long time ago. And I wonder if for some of us it's because we we didn't respond to that vision. We quenched some of that fire. We put out some of the Holy Spirit's vision for our lives. Not saying that the Holy Spirit has left. No, that's a promise in Scripture. The Holy Spirit never leaves. Paul says we can tamp down, put out, quench the Holy Spirit's vision in our lives. The good news, of course, is that on the flip side of this, responding to the Holy Spirit's vision leads to clearer and clearer visions of the lives we've been called to lead. If we can tamp down and quench the Holy Spirit, we can fan it into a flame as well. Amen? The vision that God has given you that just seems like a taste can be fanned into a flame. A vision for your life that all of a sudden becomes unignorable. Well, this is just how it is. We begin to see more clearly the reality of God's kingdom coming. We begin to to see the reality of our world, of Herod's world, fading away as we see God's faithfulness, power, presence more and more clearly. So, so we live in, in Mary's world. We, we live in a world where maybe most of us aren't hungry all the time, but we, we kind of understand this dynamic of God's vision running, running uh, a counter to the way the world works. We can, we can, I hope, understand how absurd the things Mary said would have sounded in her place and in her time. That's the world we live in, church. It's, it's no different for us. The vision that God has given you, whether it's crystal clear or just faint memory, it's a vision that will sound absurd in our world. This this is the world that we live in. But there are ways for us to live, looking backwards at God's faithfulness, responding moment by moment to the Holy Spirit in our lives that allow this vision to move into our reality. Oh, this is just how the world works. This is just what's true. This is just what God is doing. This is just how my life is going to look. And I I know you well enough. We're a small enough church at this point where I know you and I listen to you. And I hear the, 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 the visions that God has given you, has placed in your life. All right? Michelle's vision to preach and to teach in the university to kind of straddle these two worlds in a way that most people don't do very well, Michelle. But this vision that God has given her for the multi-ethnic church and to interact in both worlds with this. I know Romelia, the vision that God has given her to preach, to pastor, a vision that is hard, that can be painful. I know the vision that God has given Josh Pyle to be present in his workplace, to be kind of this surprising witness to the gospel that people don't expect. Using his music 
his conversation, his techie skills that I don't really get, but thank God for it. I know the vision that God's this to be present in the school that she's at. Going through different schools, hard schools at times, with very, very little support. To be present to her students so they are literate, so they're able to learn and not be left behind in a school system that will leave them behind. You hear, you hear me, church? I know Eric and Stephanie's vision to pursue medicine, not for their own gain, but to make sure that everybody, no matter who they are, has access to health care. God has given you a vision or visions. God has peeled back what our world says is reality. I said, no, let me show you what's actually true. Let me show you my kingdom. Let me show you what life like in the shadow of the cross, where I have defeated evil, where I have forgiven sin, where I am making all things right. I'm inviting you into that. I've given you a vision for that, and it's not a dream. It's going to sound like a dream. You're going to think it's a dream at times. There's something radically different between a dream that can be easily written off and a vision. It captures your heart and keeps you awake at night that you cannot shake. Say amen if you know what I'm talking about. In your community groups this week, I've asked your community group leaders to kind of sit on this question. About, about the visions that God has given and to be honest with each other about where those visions have been neglected. And so I, I want to give us a, a minute now just to ask the Holy Spirit to kind of bring us back um, to those moments where reality kind of parted and we saw a new and better and more true reality, one that was framed by the cross. And I'm going to ask, I'm going to pray for you in a minute. I'm just going to ask that God will bring you back to that point or maybe give you a new vision. So let's pray. God, I ask now through the power of your Holy Spirit that you would, through your Holy Spirit, that you would give us new visions. I pray first for those who have walked away from the visions that you have given them, who have quenched your spirit. God, I have done that. I have been there. I pray that you, rem- you remind them now of the vision that you gave them, that you bring them back to you. And I pray that, that whatever the reasons were that caused them to walk away, that caused them to, 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 to give up on that, to cause them to kind of relegate it to just, just a dream, I pray that those would be confronted now, confronted with the power of your Holy Spirit and confronted with your faithfulness, your faithfulness, your faithfulness, your faithfulness, your faithfulness. I pray for those who feel like they've not been given that sort of vision. God, I pray that now through the power of your Holy Spirit that you would, that you would give us new glimpses, new tastes, new visions of your kingdom coming now. Surely there is nothing more absurd than the God of the universe taking on flesh being born to someone like Mary, being raised by her, being crucified for us and then resurrected victorious for us. There's nothing more dreamlike than this, and yet this, we have said, is our reality. So I pray that out of that, you would give new visions today. New visions for our families. New visions for our own restoration and healing new vision for our neighborhoods, new visions for our workplaces, new visions for our vocation. Speak to us now, Holy Spirit, speak to us now. Speak to us now, God, speak to us Speak to us now. Speak to us now. Holy Spirit, speak to us now. Your servants are listening. 
worship team is going to lead us in one last song. Uh, and and this, is, this is what I want to encourage you. Um, please respond to what the Holy Spirit is doing in your life. So stand or sit, sing or don't sing. And I'll give us some some more instructions uh, to dismiss us just a minute. say the benediction here in just a minute um, two things I want you to hear right now um, first is that um, I think some of us because of what our lives have been like what our pasts have been like kind of the places we've been the things we've done we can we can write off a sermon like this and say I don't I don't think God would call me I don't think God would give me that vision and that's that's a lie Holy Spirit's visions for our life for the kingdom of God coming are for all of us it's for you the second thing I want to say is that some of you right now the Holy Spirit is speaking to you and you're writing it off right away you're you're already going well that doesn't seem dramatic enough or that doesn't seem adventurous enough or that doesn't seem risky enough respond to whatever the Holy Spirit is saying respond to that vision. So I'm going to speak this benediction over you. I'm going to ask that our ushers do a good job of kind of uh, uh, ushering us out quietly uh, today. For those of you who need to stay, stay. For those of you who need to be prayed for, please come forward and be prayed for in this area specifically. That you would respond to God's vision for your life. The worship team is going to stay here for a little while uh, so there's no hurry. God's vision is available to us today. It's not for somebody else. It's for you. A way of living that's so different than what you've been able to imagine is available today. It's for you. God has called our church and asked our church to be a reconciled people who are responding to him for the good of our world. Our world desperately needs women and men who see past the superficial reality and see the kingdom of God coming. So do not walk away. Do not quench the Spirit's voice. Do not content yourself with little dreams. God has given you something more, bigger, better and our world needs you to respond to that and so now Lord I pray that you would send us out in the power of your Holy Spirit you have promised to pour out your spirit on us to give us your visions for this life do so now we ask I pray that today the seeds that have been planted, the vision that has begun to reveal itself would not be snatched away from us. That we wouldn't walk away after this. That we wouldn't wouldn't in any way diminish what it is that you've been speaking to our hearts, God. 
So send us out encouraged that you are speaking. Send us out hopeful that there is a new life available for us. Send us out encouraged, inspired. We get to be those who bear your vision in this world. Pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Again, stay around as long as you like. When you're ready to leave, please go quietly, enjoy some cookies. Go in peace.